Before we get started, I need to thank a new Patreon patron. Thank you, Larry Edwards, for becoming a patron of the original cast, and as a reward, you get this thank you. And also, access to our bonus monthly podcast, The Original Cast at the Movies, where we take a uh, long-form look at some of the great and not-so-great uh, movie musicals in history. And this month, for August, gang, it's Can't Stop the Music, it's the Village People movie, it's Robbie Rizal, it's Rob Schneider. There's a sample of it a couple episodes back. Listen to the sample. If the sample don't convince you, I don't know what will, because... It's just, it's so much fun. So come on over to patreon.com slash originalcastpod. Become a patron of the original cast. Listen to the original cast at the movies. It's its just so much fun. It's wonderful. It's happy. It's fun. It's happy fun ball. All right, here's the show. Previously on the original cast. <laughs> yeah, I want to see the show. You should see I it. I want to see it. It's I want so to good. see it. I actively want and to. And there are so many just like talented people who have like gone through this show. Oh, sure. Well, and right now, like I read the current cast is seeing like Peter Scolari is playing the, the wizard. He of oh, Bosom really? Buddies if you, if, and recently won an Emmy for something. Yes. It's popular. Oh. You see what I did? I there? see what you did. My dad's going to be so proud of You're me. You're so clever. <laughs> Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is one half of the Off to Broadway podcast. It's Tara Stanton, everybody. Hi. Thanks for having me. This is so exciting. I know this is fun. This is a little cross-podcast thing. I don't know. I didn't have a yeah. second. I, didn't, I did not have an end to that sentence. Um... <laughs> And uh, we'll have the, your your other half, Stefania, on next week, which will be very, very exciting. But this week, it's all mm-hmm. about you. You don't have to share the mic with Stefania at all. <laughs> you can just speak your opinions. Um, I'm honored. For those of you looking for an entry point episode into the Off to Broadway podcast, might I recommend the recent, I don't know how many weeks ago it was now you guys did it, the Speed Round episode. Where you oh, had, our obsessions. Yes. Excellent, excellent episode, and and so much fun. Is that because you got a shout out? Is that I, why that's well, your favorite? No, episode? there's some things to pick. Yes, but um, <laughs> it was, but it was actually genuinely hilarious to have you two on clocks with each other, and right? like, you strictly adhered to those time limits, which was so funny. But we're, and we will certainly talk about off to Broadway, but we're also here to talk about Wicked. Wicked come into your life? I feel like it's a bit of a backstory for me because it starts with The Wizard of Oz. And I saw The Wizard of Oz when I was four. It was the first show I ever saw. And I got ruby slippers. So it was a huge Ooh. deal for me as a child nice. to get ruby slippers at a show. 
So I guess my first show merch, which is pretty exciting. There you go. And I watched the movie with my family growing up. And then I got the chance to play Dorothy in A Wizard of Oz um, that was being put on at my elementary school when I was in grade five. And then the next year, Wicked was rolling into Toronto and 11 year old me sat in a theater in Toronto and lost her mind and was basically for lack of a better phrase, what is this feeling so sudden and new? (laughs) (laughs) I, I think I found like my true love of musical theater in this show. And that's why I chose it for this because it just was my first and means the most to me. Wow. That's pretty that's pretty direct. That it did start for you, though, with The Wizard of Oz. That was why you went to see Wicked. And I will say that I have seen Wicked seven times since that first time. So... My goodness. I... Yeah, I really love the show. Have you been down to New York to see it? Yes, I've seen it twice in New York, um, five times in Toronto. And I actually got to see it uh, on the West End, which those characters with British accents Uh is everything. (laughs) Oh, really? Is it a whole different experience? It kind of is. And I don't know that it should be because it's the same character. They're using the same text and it's the same music. But Mm -hmm. Galinda with a British accent is just so much more proper and perfect. Mm. And Mm -hmm. I loved it. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. So we usually at this point, I would ask you to summarize the plot. But I also have to say at this point, this is the second time we're doing Wicked. So we're going to skip that. And if you want to hear the plot summary, you can go back and listen to the other episode. It's a pretty, pretty basic. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. I have a question for you, though. Yes. Because I listened to that. Oh, I was going to ask you if you had. Yes. (laughs) Have you seen Wicked yet? No. Um, oh my god! I not I desperately wanted to go up and see it when Jessica Vosk was doing it, and that and I wanted to take um, my wife and I wanted to take our son and have that be his first Broadway show. We were just like, oh, that'll nice. be a lot of fun, and that yeah. for a, you know myriad reasons never materialized. And then we were talking about going up around like Christmas. We were saying, okay, sometime in the in the summer we'll take him up and we'll see something probably wicked. And we were also talking about taking him to see the music man when that opens. And then, you know, the world ended. So yeah. that didn't happen. Um, so I have still not seen wicked. Um, oh. And I haven't in re-listening to it with you. And then after talking <laughs> to Beth, who is a dear friend of mine uh, yeah. and has only become a better friend of mine since that episode was recorded. <laughs> I, I, my opinion on the show has not changed a whole lot, but I have, but I, I really have do have this. I, th- I can't remember exactly where I ended that episode. I think it was either a place of zen or, or bemused. Uh... You ended it with that you desperately wanted to see it. And mm-hmm. I had super high hopes three years later that you would have seen it. No, <laughs> did not did not come to pass. Um, that would have been great. We had twins instead. That was what we did instead of going well, to see Well, I mean, Wicked. life. <laughs> it kind of, you know, it finds a way. Um, yeah. But so when you were, so you were 11, when you saw Wicked, yeah. which I feel like is prime. That's like perfect Wicked age. Did that immediately spawn off into the, the sort of like what you what you do now? I mean, which is see lots and lots of theater and and or or was it it was it all Wicked for a period of time and then eventually you went oh look there's these other shows going on. Well, I have always been super lucky that my family has a subscription to Mervish Productions, which is our major theater company here Mm -hmm. in Toronto. So Wicked was actually a happy accident that fell into my lap because my mom and I go to see 
every show together for a subscription. I kicked my dad out of that seat as soon as I saw <laughs> one of my first shows. Wicked wasn't my first Marvel show. I had seen Les Mis and I had seen Hairspray. I can't remember what else I had seen, but there were a few others. Mm-hmm. But that was the one that I was like, this is it. Like I'm right. seeing every single Everything. show after this. Like, sorry, dad, it's over for you. This is my thing now. Mm-hmm. So in a way, I feel like that started my whole, well, now I want to see everything. But again, like as an 11 year old, I wasn't paying for my own tickets. I was getting brought to these shows, which was amazing. And then when I went to New York for the first time, I think that was also something that was like, oh man, I'm in this and I want to be in this world forever. And I love everything about it. So yes, (laughs) that's a long answer for a yes. The answer is the answer is yes, I would Um, say. But yeah, I do think that like, whenever Wicked rolls into town, I will be there. That's Mm. the way that that show is for me because it just brings back like every memory I had sitting in that seat for the first time and feeling all of those feelings that I hadn't felt before in a show. I was watching today the, uh, I think it's from 2005, but I'm not 100% sure, the documentary about Phantom, the uh, the Mm. making of Phantom called Behind the Mask, and I think it's all on YouTube. And um, I was struck by, they, they interviewed some, some people in the West End who had seen Phantom um, you know, upwards of 100 times each, proudly. And I was struck by this phenomenon and knowing that I was going to talk to you about Wicked and it's a show that people I know, tons of people I know have seen Wicked multiple times and see it, you know, whenever it comes through mm-hmm. town or they go up to New York and see it, you know, they go see a couple shows and they go see Wicked. But I have never had the urge I shouldn't say never. I have rarely had the urge to see the same production of the same show more than once. And it's this weird, slight disconnect I think I have with theater fans and a lot of people I talk to on this podcast. Who like, like I think when I saw The Secret Garden, I immediately wanted to go back and see that again, that production of it, because I felt like I'd missed stuff. There was just so much in it. Right. And then Fun Home was a show I would have seen endlessly if we'd had the money. But beyond that, it, it's sort of like, I'll see any production. Like, if there are several shows where like, oh, that's coming. If somebody's doing that, I'll absolutely go see it. But there's very few shows that I, w- I, I want to see the same production of a lot of times. And as somebody who sees a lot of theater and talks about theater a lot, I'm excited to ask you, what do you get out of seeing this? It's obviously got different actors in it, but what do you get out of seeing the show many times and still enjoying it, obviously, greatly? What, what, what do you get out of that? Well, fun fact, I'm a two-show person most of the time. I see most shows twice. Really? It's just my thing. I don't wow. know why, but I, if I really like them, obviously. Yeah, obviously. If I'm not a huge fan, I'm like, okay, okay. we saw it. We're moving Once on. Once enough, sure. But I really like to get that second look, and I always think that there's things that I miss, which I mean in every show there are mm-hmm. things that you miss. Oh, sure. But I think for me with Wicked – I had been so interested in Elphaba's character that every time that I had saw it after that first time, I wanted and like needed to know the moment that she became a witch. When was that moment? And ah. I have since found that moment. Oh, when is and it? And so there are, there are different things that happen. I think Wizard and I is one of the first moments when she breaks out of her shell. I'm going to be who I am. Mm-hmm. Stands up for herself, which amazing. And that is her first confidence. But it's sort of all happens in Defying Gravity. But to backtrack a bit, in popular, Galinda gives Alphaba the hat, which is the first stage of becoming mm-hmm. 
a witch. Mm -hmm. And that hat makes its way all the way to Defying Gravity. And then when she is singing Defying Gravity with Galinda, she is doing the spells uh, with the Grimmery and she's trembling. And Glinda comes over and she says, Elfie, you're trembling. And she puts the cape on her. And this is also when the broom has been stuffed because they're trying to get away from all of the people that are chasing Alpha. Right. And that's when she makes the broom levitate. So she now knows that the broom is coming to her. She has the cape around. She's wearing the hat and she kneels on the ground. And literally the orchestrations are not on the cast recording. But anytime I hear it, I will burst into tears because the lights change. And I'm like, oh my God, she's a full witch. It's happened. I'm ready. (laughs) And then you obviously go on the ride that is Defying Gravity, which is the power house moment. It's my Holy Grail act one finale. And it's a moment that I remember the first time I saw it, it was, wow, this is really powerful and really amazing. And I hope that the rest of the show leads up to that energy. And I think at some points it does. And I also think at some points it doesn't. doesn't. But watching her, I feel like it was maybe the fourth or fifth time I had seen it. And I I imagine over the years, because Wicked's been running for 17 years now on Broadway, that they change sagings here and there whenever there's a new cast change or just someone that's comfortable doing something else on stage. And it didn't hit me until I had been a little bit older that everything is coming together. She finally has all of that power. She's this full witch and now she's going to fly. So I love, I love that. That's my favorite moment in the Mm -hmm. show. It's my favorite orchestration. It's my favorite lighting. I just love it. The whole, the whole, the trend, the, the moment of actual transformation. Yeah. Uh, have you ever? I have to ask. Well, before I forget, have you ever seen a production where the the rig didn't work and they all lied down on the stage and pointed? No, and I oh, wish. But <laughs> this is a no fly wicket. I have said this on many of our podcast episodes that it is like my destiny to see something to go see wrong a no in a fly show. Wicked. Mm-hmm. A no fly wicket, and then I feel like I am one of the few people that could have experienced this because I have seen Spider-Man turn off the gar- dark twice. And Whoa, wow. There was bound to be some sort of injury or mishap. And I didn't see it happen either time. And it was kind of disappointing. So Aww. I still have hopes for a no-fly wicket. At some when, point in the, when in the run did you see Spider-Man? I saw it pretty early. I think oh, the yeah, first okay. time I saw it, it was um, after it had just opened. And then I also saw it the following year with my brothers. Because I was like, this is the show that boys will like to see. Let's go see Spider-Man. Did they like to see it? <laughs> um, they didn't like it as much as I liked it. <laughs> really? It's it's pure entertainment. I don't know. <laughs> I think that Spider-Man is one of those shows that <laughs> gets Just- such a bad rap. But... I actually think that some of the songs are pretty good. And oh, okay. It's, it's spectacle theater at its finest, and there will never be a show like that again. Well, that last statement is certainly true. I, <laughs> I, Spider-Man is one of those weird shows, because I love a train wreck, don't get me wrong, which is why I love I, Starlight Express. I've talked about it <laughs> a lot because it's a literal train wreck. But, I mean, I, I love shows that don't make any sense, that are huge, ostentatious, mis- giant mistakes. And you just, like, can't imagine that creative people put this thing on stage. But Spider-Man, yeah. I've never seen it live. But what I've seen of Spider-Man and listening to the, the cast album, which I think is, is borderline unlistenable, it <laughs> is, well, it's kind of a bridge too far for me. I really wish I'd seen it especially very early because I think I'd have a tremendous affection for it if I, if I had seen it early. That 
because it just feels, I always feel like watching clips, reading about it. I have to read the book about it. Um, that it seems like it was a, it was a Spider-Man show conceived by people who had seen the trailer for Sam Raimi Spider-Man and then went, Oh, that's what Spider-Man is. And then never checked any other source material at any point and yeah. just were like, this is kind of Spider-Man, right? Like there's this and yeah. that. And you're like, God, this makes no sense at all. So yes, but you can ignore it because there's a battle scene happening on top of your head. And that's pretty cool. <laughs> it is. I mean, yes, yeah, some of the spectacle of it, it looked tremendous, looked absolutely mm-hmm. acrobatic. Also dangerous. And very, yeah, apparently very, very dangerous. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, <laughs> Spider-Man's a, that's a rare, oh man, that's a rare, a rare breed. And it's, it is, I do think it's a little unfortunate. I did kind of hope at some point, I mean, Spider-Man was, is old enough now that I think somebody could stage a stripped down Spider-Man, at least just for the comedy of it. And I think that'd be mm-hmm. really fun. I'd love to see a like black box Spider-Man production. Would just that be, would be amazing. Just to see what it, what is it? What's happening right now? <laughs> my my main thought was that when it closed on Broadway, if they still wanted to capitalize on this superhero, that it would have been like a Vegas show and people would have loved to see it there. I'm kind of <laughs> surprised it's not. I guess it's just, it wasn't, it's got so much baggage. It's that terrible thing yes. of like, even though it ran for a very long time, um, like probably too long, people would say. <laughs> well, I mean, it was in previews longer, famously than like longer than many shows run on Broadway. It was in like at a hundred yep. some previews. It's it's a an, yeah. an amazing, crazy thing. Uh, yes. So, so you've even <laughs> seen, but you've even seen Spider Man twice. This is so interesting to me. It is. I am this... a two show person. That is who I am. Apparently, and I, yeah. I, so what do? You, as as a theater fit, th- there, there's kind of not an easy way to ask this question without sounding, I don't, I don't know, weird. But is is there, what is your your relationship with theater? Is it purely fan based, or do you do you work and do you want to work in the theater? Or do you have, or is it is it a like I like to watch and comment and enjoy? Um, I think it started purely fan base. Mm. Um, I have taken drama and vocal music all throughout my life in high school. And then I ended up going into a career of journalism. I Mm. work at a TV show, which I feel like is kind of, there's a lot of drama kids in the media world. I feel Mm -hmm. they're kind of one in the same. So I, yeah, so I think at some point in my life, I would love to get into working in the theater world in some aspect, but I just love to dive into things and pick things apart. And the reason that we started our podcast was to just have a shared brain conversation and be like, do people think this way about shows the way that we think this way about shows? And I really love that experience of sitting in a theater, which I feel like this time specifically is very difficult for any major theater fans because that medium has been taken away from us and we don't really know when it's going to return and in what capacity it's going to return. So in that way, I've now in this time turn to cast recordings to try and fill that void. But yeah, I think from the beginning it was more fan base and then it turned into, wow, I'm really obsessed with this and I want to talk about it all the time. (laughs) Even to people that don't care about it. Like you want to talk about it. If you saw a show, let's deep dive. I'm ready. (laughs) 
Have you found yourself on those conversations with people like, oh, I saw that. And you go, oh, great. And you dive right in and they, they give you that look after. Yes. And be like, yeah, when we, when Hamilton good. is discussed at our office place, I am the person that people go to. <laughs> really? Yeah, because, well, let's talk about I mean, my two the- show, Hamilton. I've seen it three times. So that's broken oh, my wow. uh, my two show streak. And I just watched the Disney Plus Hamilton. I right. I was going to ask if you guys had it up there. Oh, we absolutely did on, on the day it came out. And yeah, so when Hamilton was announced that it was coming to Toronto, which was obviously such a huge deal, and yeah. I think it came years too late, but that's a whole other side conversation. <laughs> but, why do you think um, it came out? Hang on, we're going to have that conversation. Like, why do you think it came years too late? Because it had been running for five years already. And I think if you're going to bring a show to Toronto, which is such a huge theater market five years later, mm-hmm. give us a Canadian cast. I don't want a tour. Why didn't we sit down and make the time to give the Canadians here a chance to actually show what they can do and to show that Canadian talent is just as good and sometimes a little bit better. I mm-hmm. was, we were pretty disappointed that the, the cast that rolled through was a tour cast, even though they were amazing. I love the production, but sure. that was your chance to bring a show that was Toronto was meant to be the longest stop on the tour. And then everything happened obviously with a three month right. run. And that was a chance for three months for Canadian actors to get some work and it didn't happen. So I'm a little hmm. bitter in that sense, but I still love the show. Okay. So you've seen Hamilton three times and <laughs> this is so fascinating to me. It really is. Because I should like, pull out my playbills. I feel like we could run through and just Sure. Like, you can see many. mine. I have one of each <laughs> and then you can look at, you know, the only show that I've seen, I'm trying to think if I've seen any show twice in the same run. I've seen the same tour of a couple shows a few times, you know, just caught that. But like I saw Les Mis twice on tour, um, which is essentially the same production uh, and things like that. But it has just never been, I don't know if it's how my memory works that I have a really, like I can really, re- like I remember most things I've seen so I can just re- kind of revisit them in my head or what, but I have really never had the desire to see something so many times it's such a funny like yeah. i've watched now having said that i have watched the like the i have videos of like sunny in the park with george and into the woods and, and now hamilton on disney plus i have a feeling i'll see that a few times if for no other reason than my son loves it but yeah. i have watched those time you know over and over and over and over again but i i don't know what that is about the the experience of going to the theater and seeing something because i certainly would love you know if, if, I'd love to go do it obviously but it's just not yeah. part of my DNA. Hmm. I think for me, maybe it maybe Wicked was one of the shows that started that for me because mm. as soon as I see a show with my mom, which is through our subscription, I then tell my friends about it and I want to see it with them. Mm-hmm. And it, I have a different experience with them. And I feel like for this show specifically, because I have seen Wicked twice with Stefania. I can't remember if we've seen Mm. it twice. We definitely saw it once together. And then I've seen Wicked with my other best friend three times. And I saw it with my dad. I saw it with my brothers. It was like, I found the show. I want everybody to see it. And I've had that feeling with different shows over the course of my musical theater loving years. And I just want people to maybe have that feeling that I had the first time I saw a show and fall in love with something. I don't know. It's a weird communal thing but I really enjoy going to shows with people and having them fall in love and watching them love what they're what they're seeing you know that really rings true for me I think that if I had 
friends to like if it was diff- the same show with different people that I'd be very interested in and I'd be very interested to hear you know people who I want to know what they thought and and whenever I talk about shows I've seen with people who've also seen them and we didn't go at the same time I always feel like we're having two different conversations because yeah. the shows are always a little bit different you know every single time you see it obviously that's why we love it but little things yeah. like whether you saw a matinee or an evening performance and where you sat and, and what the, those sorts of things can really affect your perception of what you're seeing. I mean, I think that gets underappreciated sometimes that it can have that great effect. So if I want to, yeah, I would love to see eagerly see the same show with this, with multiple groups of people. That sounds like a lot of mm-hmm. fun. Um, yeah. So maybe that's just what I need to start doing. I just need to start being like you and just grabbing groups of people and be like, we're all going like, to hey. see this. Right. You want to see this show? It's coming. We're all going. Let's go. We're heading down. Let's get to it. <laughs> yeah. I would love it if somebody did that for me. If so, by the way, if anyone out there just wants to be like, "Hey, we're going to see this show," be like, I'll tag along. That sounds not anytime now. Anytime you're but... here. Oh my gosh, that'd be here, so funny. <laughs> come with us. We are ready. You're ready. <laughs> Let's go see yes. Wicked. When Wicked go. comes to Toronto. Oh, that'd be good. Come on, come on down. It's only. <laughs> You'll it's, see it's, the tour cast. What is it? A twelve-hour drive? How long does it take to get from DC to DC? Oh, I don't know if it's that long. It might be to Toronto. Let's. Let's see. It is according to Google. Oh yeah, it's eight and a half. That's You're fine. I've done that. <laughs> Look at that. Got to go through Buffalo, but other than that, you know, not not a lot. Yeah. Not, you can take a tour there. of Niagara Falls. Like, there's a lot to do on your way. I would very much like to do that. My wife has seen Niagara Falls. I have never never been. That that is so funny. <laughs> I have no sense of geography. This is the thing I keep learning about myself. I'm like, all right, I'm so far west as are as are you guys. Yeah, it is. I, I'm glad you brought that up, though, the, the Toronto being a major theater hub, because I do think that gets sort of forgotten by especially Americans. There are a number of Toronto cast recordings of shows. Mm-hmm. Um, Phantom, I think most noticeable, notably would be one that people have with Colm Wilkinson. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there are, you know, Toronto is a, a place where shows go and, and set up and, and like you say, run their own casts and, and have their own production. So opening a Toronto production of Hamilton would not have been unheard of I, I i mean i have to imagine they just ran the cost benefit analysis and decided 100%. there were there was definitely a reason why they didn't want to do it it is funny that they're touring that show in such an interesting way i mean because it was here it was in dc for three months or two months or whatever it was a yeah. very long time at the kennedy center and then it left and it was supposed to come back and of course that, that isn't happening um mm-hmm. and it 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 uh it has that kind of residency uh floating around but i do and i do it, it's an, obviously we're not here to talk about Hamilton. We'll get back to Wicked in a second. But I am very interested in what the Disney Plus of it all is going to do for Hamilton's business. I don't think it's going to affect it as much as some people have said, but it will certainly have an effect. And I'm kind of wondering actually if the effect is actually going to be in the other direction. It's going to be like, oh, I have to go see that. I want to be in that theater yeah. watching that show. And speaking on that communal experience that I was talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. I have so many people that messaged me because, as I said, I was the Hamilton person at work being like, I watched the show. I get it. I understand why you loved it. So (laughs) I think, but (laughs) that being said, there's lots of people that had also said that this was obviously the way that it was filmed. I think it was filmed so beautifully. I thought the cinematography of it all was outrageous. And there are things obviously in that version that you don't get when you're in that theater, mainly facial expressions, which Mm -hmm. for that show is a big thing. And I, even though the people that I spoke to, with had said that they love that they also said wow i wish i was there mm-hmm. so i do agree with you but 
I also hope that this puts out more of these shows because every show is filmed. It's in the Lincoln Center archives. And why don't we just release some more? Well, that is, I've heard a couple of people saying that. And it is, it is true. But those filmings aren't like the filming of, I mean, Hamilton not only filmed the show, I don't know how many times, I think three performances or four performances live. Yeah. But then like a lot of those close-ups and things were obviously done with nobody in the house. They filmed the sh- like the the performance without any audience so they could get those shots yeah they're not bringing a crane camera into every theater no <laughs> they also edited what i really liked actually was how much of the laughing and the clapping they edited out they sort of let Agreed. the show keep its own movie pace instead of a theater pace okay. and because we've all seen how like we saw the cast perform at the grammys and when Lin-Manuel stepped out and said Alexander Hamilton, there was so much applause. It just kills the absolute momentum of that song. And they get it back again, obviously. Yeah. But I was worried about that for the video. And then when they cut in for the close-up, obviously, to let him do the song at the pace he wrote it at, it really enhanced it. But those Lincoln Center filmings are not that. They are one camera, no. maybe two. And they are mainly done for archive purposes. They are just to record the choreography and the thing. I Now, I agree that we should watch them. Like, I would love to see them. Don't get me I'll wrong. I'll take whatever we could get. It I'm is happy true. to take whatever we get. I was someone that when I saw Hamilton for the first time, I had been obsessed with that cast recording for three years. Mm-hmm. I knew every word. Knew I every knew word. everything that was going on. I knew everything. Like, to the point that when I saw it in New York off of a cancellation ticket in the front row, let me just Very say Very nice. Very nice. I had to, like, stop myself from mouthing along because I knew everything. And Mm -hmm. that is where I'm at, obviously, with Wicked because I've seen it eight times. I know everything about that show. But there are times, yeah, I don't know. I think it, it it's a mix for me. I think when I see the shows that are densely heavy in the lyrics, I'm surprised at how much I like them because Mm. I don't think I was always someone that cared about that. I was more Mm. of stagecraft. I love the stagecraft. I love the vocals. I love the music, but I'm not really listening to the lyrics right now. And as I've grown up and grown into the musical theater world, it's obviously something that I look for and listen to today. Mm. That is, yeah, I would imagine that would be something that would come with seeing so many shows, you would find new and new things to appreciate it. But your first way in was the sort of for lack of a better word, theatricality of the, yes, of the productions sure. you saw. That was what- The was, magic was what I wanted. Have you ever had an experience where a show is amazing, this is not a trap, by the way, amazingly theatrical, but maybe the second time you saw it, you went, oh, there wasn't really anything happening. I, I kind of missed that the first time I saw it. Um, weirdly enough, I have felt this way with the Book of Mormon. I Really? Oh, my. that that show was- incredible the first time i saw it also mm-hmm. i've seen book of mormon three times let's just put that out there um but i saw it the first time with andrew randall so i feel like that was my uh-huh. top one but when i saw it again in toronto and then i saw it again in wait have i seen it three times unknown honestly at this point who knows maybe only twice <laughs> <laughs> but when i saw it the second time i was like this doesn't hit as funny as I thought it was the first time. And I feel like that was a prime example of I am in this theater magic. I have waited to see this show. I bought these tickets six months in advance. I have waited for this moment. I am in this moment. I'm here. And then when you remove yourself from that and you see it in a different setting, mm-hmm. it didn't hit as well for me. So that doesn't happen to me with every show. I think the one that 
obviously stands out in my mind is I have had the best experience at it three times is I've seen Moulin Rouge three times. Mm. Not the first time um, in its out of town in Boston. And then I've seen it twice on Broadway. And I think at this point, because that was only a few years ago, I was so interested in the evolution of an out of town which mm-hmm. in some sense, Toronto is an out of town for some shows. Yeah. But for for that, it was really in the out of town to the Broadway transfer and the evolution of that. I love the behind the scenes and maybe that's the TV person in me because that's what I do on a daily basis. I work behind the scenes of a, of a morning show and I love to see like the little things here and there. So yeah, I don't I don't know. It's it does change for me different shows, but Book of Mormon was definitely one that I was like, oh, this show does not hit the same way huh. that it did when I first saw it. That surprises ask, me. If you ask Steph about that, she'll give you the same answer too. Really? Oh, well then I'm definitely yeah. gonna ask Steph about that. <laughs> write that down. But is it so was it just that it wasn't as funny or was it not as good kind of full stop to you? I think both. And I don't know really? if this was I don't know if this was a sense of the production that I had seen here wasn't the same level that I had experienced in New York. Mm. But I I just didn't think it was as funny and maybe that was the delivery, but sure. um, I think it's also interesting and I don't know that a lot of people know this, but mostly in Toronto, our audiences are subscribers that are 70 and up and that is not a show that people care for no so i do think in a in a sense and in a way that being in a room where the room is not getting the jokes it kind of ruins it for you oh yeah so that could have been it but that is a cast recording that i listen to a lot i just i wouldn't actively go and see that show again i wonder how that show i mean that show is is 10 years old or almost 10 years old at this point. And I do think about it a lot and kind of wonder if its moment has passed. I agree. In a, we've in a, had a lot of way. We've had a lot of conversations with this in the last little while. The Book of Mormon does not necessarily seem like a show that should come back when everything comes back. Yeah, I don't know. It's It has a lot of... I have very mixed feelings about South Park. Um, and Trey and uh, Trey Parker as a creative force, but that is a show. I mean, I feel like Book of Mormon is his, is their greatest achievement. It, it really, I think, it's very funny. I think it says something very interesting, um, and I believe a lot of that is the Robert Lopez of it all, keeping it kind of in that mu- more genuine musical theater sense. Um, yeah, double EGOT winner Robert Lopez. Um, <laughs> possible triple he, he could he's young enough he I could know. have a, be the, he's the only double he got winner ever he could be the he could be a triple before he before he that leaves family us. oh very talented group of people crazy um yeah but so but i've the more i've heard people talk about book of mormon a lot recently in this way of this sort of like i don't know i think i think that it did its thing it served its purpose and i wonder if it's just not aging very well and Mm -hmm. i kind of want it to go out on its own terms so it can be this you know it was good it was good for broadway certainly and uh, yeah it's kind of like the producers in that way to me like the producers having revisited that recently it didn't really age for me that great and I, i i don't it's that funny thing about theater being more of a living, breathing entity than a movie is, for example. Like Blazing Saddles is a movie that you couldn't make today and you shouldn't make today. It was very of its time. 
and has it aged well? I don't know, but it's such a time capsule of 1974. Like it, it, the film stock, even it's got that yellow tint to it. It looks like 1974. So Mm -hmm. it sits in its time period very plainly. But like when you stage a show that was written even in 2010 or 2001 and you go, Ooh, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. You're do because you're, you're telling the joke live in front of me all of a sudden. And I'm like, yeah. I really wish you wouldn't. I wish you wouldn't yeah. have done that. <laughs> exactly. Not a great feeling. <laughs> no. I know. Yeah, I don't know. If they if they didn't come back, I think I'd be a little bit like, Yeah, okay, that's fine. I agree. I was I was actually having this huh. conversation with, with Steph last night and we said if it didn't come back, I wouldn't be surprised, but I would expect some sort of a statement to be made. Yeah. I mean, it's run for so long. I mean, it is the, I don't know which number longest running show on Broadway, but it, it's high on the yeah. list. Yeah. Actually, that's important. That's the thing I should have had open uh, because it is, oh, it's creeping on cats. Oh, it's creeping. Wow, cats. It is creeping on cats. It's got 600 some more performances to do, 700 more performances, and then it will, it'll pass cats. And then the top four longest running Broadway shows will all be running right now. That is so... Let me just tell you, Tara, as somebody who, when he was, <laughs> when he grew up and Chorus Line was the longest running show um, and was still running and, and was, you know, a show that, that everybody know. And that show ran for 15 years and was like the longest running show by a mile and nobody ever thought it would get caught to then like, I'm looking at the list right now, the top 16 with one two exceptions the top 16 longest running broadway shows have all opened in my lifetime and that is shocking to me but also amazing (laughs) but it's a really weird so this is the this is the environment this is funny because this is the environment you grew up in obviously these are the shows that like were uh, up and running so how when when did you see wicked you were 11 and what year was it do you remember it was uh 2005 it was 2005 okay so it was relatively new show when you when you saw it yeah and it was also my first Alphaba was Stephanie J. Block, who had Ooh. almost a terrible accident with the lift because in the rehearsals, the trap door wouldn't open and she got caught on yeah. the elevator. And then I normally, typically in our subscription, we see shows in the first three weeks. And I mm. think we had seen it in the first week that she had come back. Mm. And now I've seen her in... I saw her in the Cher show. I obviously have watched the Falsettos movie. Right. I love Stephanie Jablock, love her oh, voice. But to find out years later that that's who that was and now being the fan that I am, it's, it's so cool. Steph Isn't and I did so this funny? kind of recently where we went through all of our playbills. We're like, this person was in it. And yeah. we didn't care about them then. And this person was in it. And now it's it's a whole new it's a whole new world when you this find is that why information you, out. This is why you keep your playbills, folks. Like don't don't, yes, don't throw them out. I saw the Secret Garden on tour with in the chorus Roger Bart and Audrey McDonald. Like wow. And you're just like because I read that somewhere. I was like, oh Roger Bart was in the 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 chorus of Secret Garden on tour. And I went, I wonder if he was and I went to my playbill and went, Yep, there he is. Oh my gosh, and Audra and McDonald, like <laughs> two years before she was gonna win her first Tony for Carousel, was in the chorus of the show. And it was that thing of like, you're right, there's this magical feeling you get where you're like, hey, I saw that. Look at that. Look what like, I saw. Whoa, that happened. That's crazy. Right. Yeah. yeah. And it really, I think it, it rejuvenates when you, then I love when I go see shows now, I really try to pick, like look at everybody and be like, 
where, like who who in this mob of people <laughs> do I think is like is like has that little kick? Can you spot it? Would be the other question, and the answer is possibly. But we always pick our favorite ensemble member from every. Do you show. really it's something that we always do? Yep, that person that is giving life in their performance, and they are at the back, but they are really giving it. We now, love when them. You, when you say people. giving life. Do you mean that? They're just the- hitting everything so hard and trying. I don't know if they're, if they're just trying hard or it's just coming across that way, but there's always that person in the back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, there's, there, is, then there's, a, I wanna, there's a good way and a bad way to do that, obviously. But, oh, uh, yeah. That's, yeah. Which, I mean, I've, I, we've started to do this kind of recently, but I think it really, yeah, I don't know. It's a weird thing that we do, but we love to shout out the ensemble members and we'll talk about them on our podcast episodes because the ensemble is the hardest working people on that stage most of the time. Yeah. And they deserve all the credit. So Mm -hmm. the ensemble and the swings gang, like keep, watch your swings. They, they will keep the show running. And it was, (laughs) I'm not far from the first person to, to say this, but I was really happy when I saw the Hamilton on Disney plus and they, everybody in the ensemble had, an individual credit card credit. type credit yeah. at the thing. So you could see their face and, and it was a really nice like reminder of these people are doing, working really hard back there gang. And yeah. you should really, you should pay attention to what they're doing. I, I feel like I have to ask you, it's a little, it's off the wicked track, but I feel like I have to ask you anyway, is there anything you haven't seen? <laughs> I mean, obviously, there's stuff you haven't seen. Yes, but there's like, tons of stuff I But you know what I mean seen. by that. Is there anything big that you I haven't mean, seen? I mean, if we're going to talk about, like, every major musical in the last five years, sure. I've probably seen it. Wow. And maybe twice. Wow. <laughs> now, that I am envious of. That's a pretty... Man. It, there, there came a time in my life, and I don't even remember what year it was, maybe when I was 18, that I had just started going to New York every single summer. And those trips for me are four show trips and I will do nothing else but see shows. Wow. Literally nothing else but see shows? No, I mean, we'll do other things, but like that is what we're doing at night. We are going every night to a show. And if we're there over a weekend, we're also seeing a Saturday and Sunday matinee. Man, I mean, I, that I totally understand and respect that, but there's a lot to see in New York. So, it, it, oh, of make, course, make sure you're, you're seeing some stuff. Every time I go, this is my this is my thing. Every time I go, we try to see and do something new that's apart from the shows. So oh, that's a good idea. It was Brooklyn. This most recent time, we went to the Vessel because that was cool. And they you had just, just went to Brooklyn. Come. Like we're just like, and this is Brooklyn. Yeah, we yeah. went to Brooklyn. We went to go eat <laughs> in Brooklyn. And I said, never... never fear, Brooklyn's here. And then you left. You're just like, exactly, right. exactly. <laughs> but um, <laughs> what you do in Brooklyn? Just out of curiosity. Um, I feel like I t- well, I had, I actually went there again this past summer, and we went to like Dumbo, which is the Instagrammy mm-hmm. area, yes, and. It is. Um, we took a, a ferry over to Williamsburg, which was fun because I oh, okay. had never taken the ferry over before, but um, that there was something go. new for me. There you are. That's mm-hmm. exciting. Okay. <laughs> it's just fun going to Brook- <laughs> I mean, Brooklyn is, it, it, I only laugh about it because if Brooklyn was its own city, it'd be the second most populous city in the United States. So it's just funny yeah. to think of like, we just went to Brooklyn. <laughs> I feel like it's because also whenever I go to New York, we'll stay in Times Square area because we're at so many shows, seeing and shows it's just yeah. easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like to venture out of the Times Square area to hop on a subway to go over to Brooklyn was like Brooklyn, a big yeah. deal. It's a big trip. <laughs> That's a long, long yeah. trip. 
Yeah. <laughs> you got to go uptown next. You got to go up to, well, we got to go to Hamilton. What's it called? It's, is it called Hamilton Town? There's a section. I can't remember. It's a tiny section of the upper east. I mean, upper nor- in Harlem, basically, section where Hamilton's house is. And it's called, I think it's just called Hamilton, actually. Not I have not that. been there yet, but okay. I did go to Trinity Church and that was cool. Right. There you are. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it was like the Hamilton walking tour, but I made it myself. It was great. <laughs> I'm really surprised that hadn't, I mean, obviously it wouldn't run now, but I'm really surprised that hasn't kind of popped up in a, in a like serious way in, in the lower part of New York. Maybe it has, and I just don't know it. I it's actually, like, I feel like it has because uh, Steph and I went to New York in December and we mm-hmm. went to um, a ghost light tour, which was kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Oh, those are a lot and of fun. And I think Hamilton was part of that now because I was like, guys, oh, you should okay. make money off of this. You should take people and have them pay you <laughs> instead of find me wandering, looking for Angelica's gravestone, which I couldn't find and was really upset about it. Really? You couldn't find it? <laughs> no. I saw Hamilton. I was going to say, you saw place his, that right? Literally, yeah. people now stop there and take a selfie with the Hamilton <laughs> tombstone, which they is a sure whole do. other level of weird. But <laughs> um, yeah, I couldn't find Angelica. Oh, hmm. That's funny. Yeah. Even with the internet, you couldn't find Angelica. I know. <laughs> um, it's theoretically near Hamilton. That's all I know from yeah, the Yeah, that's, that's what I thought too. But near it's is also, a very relative term. Yes. it's very. They're very old though. So it was... Yeah. It, it's hard to read them. So she yes, was well, definitely they, there. I just couldn't read the stone. They died many, many years ago. Yes. So right. <laughs> just look at them all. Be like, yeah, I, I totally saw her. She's totally there. Yeah. yeah. So is is when you, but as somebody who sees so many shows and, and absorbs so much theater, does do you find it hard to keep it all straight or does your brain just let you keep it all in your head in a clear way like if i asked you what you thought of a series of shows in like rapid succession would you be able to tell me i guess if you saw them all twice probably (laughs) um i can pick out major moments that i love Mm -hmm. i also will if i see a show and love it i will go and gravitate and listen to that cast recording Mm -hmm. over and over and over again um obviously the ones that i've seen more than once or twice most of them seen twice more than twice i could give you a pretty good idea of each show but in terms of because I have seen Wicked the most, like I know everything about this show. Oh, I could sure. probably stand on stage and do the entire thing. <laughs> well, Give me a I... character. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a track. I'm on it. Yeah. You get it right. History, right the flying monkey. I'll do it. <laughs> Just get it. You, Tara's got it. Don't worry about it. Can't. She's going to step yeah. in. No one needs to come back and do the Wicked tour because it's a one woman show now. Oh, there you go. Oh, man. One woman Wicked. That would be... That would be a whole, I don't a even whole think. Thing. Yeah. The, you see it at a French, coming to a French festival near you, the one woman wicked. 100%. The costume changes would be outrageous. <laughs> oh, that's very, very true. It is, it is an interesting. So why do you think Wicked gets kind of a bad rap from people sometimes? People like me. Let's say snobs. Why do snobs give Wicked a bad, a bad rap? I feel like you give it a bad rap without seeing it, obviously, right? Sure, like you have absolutely. not seen it. Mm-hmm. So I feel like if you just listen to the cast recording and I am one to say someone as a lover of this show, there are multiple songs on that cast recording that I do not listen to because I think they're mm-hmm. boring, mm-hmm. but they serve a purpose for the story at the end of the day. And I do like the way some of them are performed on stage, but I feel like at the time, I don't know, it came out in 2003 and mm-hmm. if I think saying that it's a story 
before the Wizard of Oz is a draw in, obviously. But I think it's a draw into only a certain type of crowd. But I say that, and now 17 years later, it's one of the shows that tourists flock to and are obsessed with. Mm-hmm. I don't think that a New Yorker would spend their Saturday afternoon going to see Wicked when they've probably already seen it 12 years ago and they don't need to see it again. I think it might get a bad rap because it's spectacle theater and people are kind of tired of spectacle theater. They want more of the nitty gritty, let's get into the storyline versus let's show you all this lighting, amazing set, big box orchestra, dance numbers. There's a lot of people that are anti big shows. Mm -hmm. And this to me is a huge show. And I feel like I like both, but yeah, I just think that it's too mainstream now and people probably don't really want to care about it. But I've also yet to meet someone that hasn't liked Wicked after they saw it. You know, it's, I mean, certain, yes, you're absolutely, you're hundred percent right that you, you, you shouldn't judge a show until you've seen it. It, it. it doesn't because it doesn't, is not designed to be a cast album. It's designed to be a piece of theater and that's how you, you you should encounter it. What's funny is you just tick something in my brain that I was just quickly looking through this, uh, where it falls in the sort of evolution of, of American musical theater, because I feel like Wicked came along in, the, in this weird area of when, you know, came out right at the same time as the other two big shows that year in New York were Avenue Q and Carolina Change, which are two, you couldn't really have three more different excellent show they're all great um and they're so different trying to do so many different things a show i have not seen avenue q really hey i've seen i saw it on broadway and i've seen it i've I've seen it twice but the second production was not it was a i don't remember it was community (laughs) theater regional theater but i've seen that twice there we go um there you go yeah i've seen a white woman play christmas eve (laughs) not great gang (laughs) not great not uh not not great. Um, in any event, the uh, this is my this is my rant statement on this. If you can't find uh, a, an Asian uh, woman to play Christmas Eve, you're not allowed to do Avenue Q. Now, moving on, the yeah. the uh, it, what's so funny though is that like it comes out right at, right at that apex, and then music theater kind of goes into this in between phase for a while where we have shows like Spam a Lot and and Jersey Boys and and we're kind of all dancing around and you're right. There is this sort of sense of like, there's wicked is a very, very traditional musical in a lot of ways in a, in a sort of like Rogers and Hammerstein formula style of musical. And, and it is a huge spectacle. And I think, yeah, I think that combination is kind of maybe what, what rubs people the wrong way because it is very old fashioned in its earnestness, in its story, and in its presentation, and then combine that with all the modern musical theater tricks. Um, mm-hmm. But it also comes along at a time where, like, the technology was great, you know, in, in the early 21st century, but it was not what it is now. I mean, the ability to run so many lights and so many things, you know, the, uh, uh, that they couldn't ever do then with, with LED technology. And, and uh, you know, obviously Hamilton has the double rotating <laughs> turntable, which... Love a turntable. Love a turntable. I love a turntable. Love a good turntable. I really, really do. But in the same breath of you saying that, I kind of love and appreciate the old style of musical theater. I love the mm-hmm. big sets. I love the moving parts. I 
hate projections. I think they're so dumb. Do and you? I cannot stand them. Oh. I think if there's this, I think if there's a screen and it serves a purpose, fine. But if you're using it instead of making a set piece, I cannot stand it. I think it's such a waste of time. And the first show that I saw projections in that I absolutely hated and I will never forget it is Bring It On in Toronto. And I said, what is this? Why are we doing this? <laughs> and then it like, all of the years went by and I truly think, and I, I know that this is like kind of an unpopular opinion because people love Mean Girls, but the projections in Mean Girls ruins that entire show for me and I hated everything that went on on those screens during that show. I have heard lots of opinions on Bring It On. I have never once heard anyone complain about the projections and I love it. I love that. <laughs> that was like your biggest, there's a lot in Bring It On that is good or bad or, or in between. Literally never great, even heard the, the projections, projections mentioned. That's fantastic. Um, I would, so I'm going to push However back. though, okay, go ahead. I do, yeah. the projections in Dear Evan Haven I thought were necessary and served a purpose and I was fine with those. Oh, I could say you don't care for that show, it seems. I, I so I'm like not even going to. No, I was going to say the projections tricked you into thinking you were watching anything at all. But I'm not going to be that mean. And uh, I but won't say like that. the Facebook and all of the social media, yeah, like it I does, get it. There's a screen. It makes sense. It does immerse you in the world. I get that. I would push back a t on that though, uh, and say that you have not seen projections used to enhance the story, except for Dear Evan Hansen. Um, yeah. I and I didn't I, I didn't have much of an opinion on projections at all and I and was sort of like my only experience with projections before this last Christmas was as replacement for set design basically like you just said and then I had worked on my show The Velveteen Rabbit which used extensive projections because there were lots of fantasy sequences that I'd written into it and it's a tiny 100 seat children's theater and <laughs> our projectionist uh, Kelly was just remarkable at crafting these images and making them feel, it felt like lighting design, didn't feel like projections. And they're projected mm -hmm. on the set. We didn't have screens and she really was able to fill in a lot of holes that we just couldn't create in the sort of like, cause it was you know, only four actors, a lot of people using puppets and a lot of things. And she was able to give the world depth all yeah. with her projections. And without the projections, it wouldn't have been the same show. It still would have, I think, been pretty good. But it would not have been. We, we were able to use those projections in so many interesting ways. And we did things like having multiple characters come in as silhouettes projected on the wall. Like the adults were all like that. And it really made the show feel bigger than it actually was. And since then, I have been like, okay, so you can use projections in a way to enhance the story, but I think you're right. I think it, it more often than not, they go, Oh, we don't have to build that. We can just project it. Which is just lazy to me. Yeah, and it is. We, you can see there's a lot specifically in wicked. I think something that stood out to me the first time I saw it was the gears that I don't, mm. you've obviously mm -hmm. seen that. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah. 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 So the gears that are there also obviously the dragon and when they have certain moments, it's like, you know exactly where they are specifically also in the uh, Ozdas Ballroom for Dancing Through Life, it transforms into an entire new place. And that, if that were to be on a screen, I would mm -hmm. be so annoyed because it's something that a simple object, like a gear, makes that much of a difference. And it's mm -hmm. something that has stuck with me 
that many years later. So I do agree with you and I have yet to be proven wrong on my theory of projections, but if you are going to use them as a set, it's very lazy to me and I don't care for it. Yeah. I think that we're in this field right now with specifically Broadway level shows where projections are being used as a crutch because people don't really know what else to do with them. I think the designers know what to do with them. I don't think the producers know what else to do with them yet because they don't trust them. You yeah. know what I mean? And it was like, well, it was like we talked about the turntable, but there was a period there in the, in the early 90s where every show had to have a turntable whether they needed it or not because it was just sort of like the thing and you would see these shows and like there'd be these scenes of these characters walking on this turn, you know, and you were just like, they don't need to be walking during this scene. <laughs> no. Like they really just can just stand there and, and have this conversation. <laughs> Why are they walking? And the reason they're walking is because we paid for the turntable. We're going to spin it. You know, like that's, that's the way this goes. And then people got over that and started going, oh, we can have a turntable or we cannot. <laughs> and yeah. then people will still pay Broadway prices for it. Yeah. Um, and when it's used as a shortcut, you know, to save money, anything that's used as a shortcut explicitly, um, not in a creative way. I think one of the, the best sort of creative shortcuts I've ever seen in a show ever is in Les Mis and the original Broadway production style of Les Mis where you have the set can literally turn and become, this goes from being the walls to being the, the barricade. barricade. That's not yeah. cheap, obviously. Like I just called it a shortcut, but it is kind of a shortcut because it's two sets in one. And it occupies the same physical space. Obviously, it has to lift and turn. That was not cheap. But that's a creative shortcut. That's a puzzle piece. You know? And I think projections really, and good projections and really good sound design can shortcut the audience and fill in holes where necessary. But you need to have, first of all, a script that can support it. But second of all, a design concept that mm -hmm. allows for the projections to work with the sets and with the cut. Because the other thing we had to do was then have the set had to be painted a certain way. So the projections would work. So the, the set designer had to be okay with that. And the costume designer had to be designing clothes that when the projection hit them, wouldn't, I mean, the basic thing, but they couldn't have dyes that would change color. You know, it couldn't be incandescent yeah. and that requires coordination. And I think that that, it's such a new element in the design field. It just hasn't found its way into the professional level that way. Those sorts of designs tend, it's so ironic, but in theater, I feel like those elements tend more come from the ground up instead of the top down. Yeah. And as, as younger directors come up who've used projections in a creative way, go, oh no, this is what we're going to do with projections or this, you know. I take it back. The most disappointing projection I saw was actually in Frozen because they opted out for not having any ice on stage and just yes. thought, let's put snowflakes and broadcast and show them on the floor. And I had seen the Frozen at California Disneyland and they had an ice staircase and an mm -hmm. ice chandelier. And that's not a Broadway budget. So <laughs> it was very disappointing. And well, like to, to take that back also, I did see a show that I kind of like the projections, but it was also a screen and that was Be More Chill. I thought the video game aspect mm -hmm. worked for me. So for that, because it was literally them playing a video game, it worked for me, which is what you said of if it is sort of like in the storyline, then it's okay. So I do agree with that. Yeah, I mean, it's... I also kind of, after having seen Be More Chill don't know how I feel about Be More Chill anymore. I don't know how you really? feel about Be More Chill. Yeah, <laughs> I like Be More Chill. I like the album, you know. And actually, Me too. I like the first album. Um, but like when I saw it, it is really true that you can have a, uh, 
a, 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 sh- a show can have a mediocre score and a great book and run and it really can't like it, the shows live and die on their books I feel like and that book has yeah. a lot of problems like a lot yeah. of problems I got to see it at um, MCC uh, mm-hmm. when it was off Broadway so mm-hmm. being in a really tiny house was exactly where that show should have stayed mm-hmm. um, because the energy and atmosphere was something that I have not witnessed at that many shows before and people were really into it, really loving it. And I, I think it's biggest failure was moving to a big Broadway house. Yeah. I saw it when I saw it here and because it was, I saw one of the handful of regional theater productions that cropped up between before the Broadway run was announced that like got the yeah. rights and which was great. And it was in a very small house and it was the same thing. You're right. Like the, the, you could, the cast was super into it. The audience was super into it and it was very intimate and I and I felt I did I had that feeling of like I'm never going to see a better version of this show. Like this is exactly mm-hmm. how the show should be seen, and it was fine. It was sort of my like yeah. Reaction I think to it's it. it's very entertaining, but I do agree with you. I think the cast album is better. The album is so good, especially the first one, like the the original off Broadway cast album. It's just such a fun, energetic lesson. I really enjoy that album a lot, and I, that also, but it, it it could also be part of the problem is that I really really liked the album, and then you come in and the show is not the album, gang. Like, just it just isn't and that's that's hard you know which with wicked specifically as i said because i was so young when i first saw it i obviously hadn't listened to the cast recording but after that show ended i bought the cd because Mm. it had that effect on me wow i wonder where that cd is that would be (laughs) great to pull that up I don't even have a CD insert on my laptop, so I, like I wouldn't that. be able I to use it. Happened to that CD. <laughs> it's probably in my car. How do you tangent? But we're going to take it. How do you listen to music? Um, I listen mostly on Apple Music and okay. sometimes Spotify, but I only have like a couple cast recordings on actual CD. For the longest time, I, I mean, I'm still in the same car. Um, uh, 2006, 2005. <laughs> Your famous car, yes. Yeah, Toyota Corolla. And it does not have an aux cord. So anytime my friends would come in the car and we're going to listen to musical theater stuff, I would burn a CD. Literally, mm-hmm. I have so many CDs in my car that are like Broadway tape one, Broadway tape two. And um, my friend burned me the Hamilton cast recording, but it went in alphabetical order so the songs are out of order so for the first year of my life I listened to Hamilton out of order which was very fun um I am, I am to now, all three Jonathan Groff songs in a row and I was gonna great. say I am now going over to my, my <laughs> iTunes it's, and I am creating a playlist that has <laughs> Hamilton in alphabetical order just to see what the hell you were listening I think, to. I think it was alphabetical order by artist, which is even better because it's all the same people on the cast recording. Oh, that's so funny. It was, because, And it was in two parts because the CD wasn't big enough right, um, to course. hold the entire show. Um, I have three different copies of Wicked on a burn cd oh i know what happened to my cd it's scratched so it doesn't play that's the problem but i really enjoyed these broadway mixtapes that i had in my car which was also a very got me into this world because it was all i listened to and then i bought one of these cool things that you put into your uh lighter and it connects Mm -hmm. to an unused radio station and my life has been forever changed there you go do you never (laughs) use the tape the the cassette that has the like the aux cord coming off of it. Um, no, I don't know no? why. 
I oh, that was a big. We had that. That that speak that shows my age probably because we used to do that with a disc man because we I my first car didn't yeah. have a CD player in it, and so we would have the the tape adapter for the disc man. So I've had I have like seven tape adapters because I like they became hard to find at one point. I don't know why. So I bought a bunch of them. And, and then they I have also became really trendy. They were yeah. they became like super trendy and everyone was buying them. It was weird. Yeah. Well, you know, technology is cyclical. They tell me so. <laughs> it all comes back around. Soon people will want to know where all my cassettes are. Yes. The worst musical delivery system ever conceived. The audio cassette. <laughs> uh, yeah, not 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 a great not a great medium. Uh, so why at this point? And I'm going to ask this question of Stefania too, as kind of because you've already revealed your favorite moment in the show. So we we don't yeah. need to go back on that. Why did you start a podcast? We started a podcast because I felt that. I needed to be challenged in my everyday life and I wanted to learn something new, which was editing, which I love now. But also we had been having all of these different conversations in my car, listening to these songs on our burn CDs, going on a road trip. We're like, why don't we record this and see what happens? And I think it was one of the best decisions we've ever made because we have never been so in each other's brains more than we are now. And to hear each other's thoughts on different shows or different parts of shows or different songs or whatever it might be has been something that I really enjoy and love learning and love learning more about her. It's made us stronger friends, which Wicked was also one of those shows that brought us together. We worked at a summer camp together. We did The Wizard of Oz. And it was, it was, we always say that Hamilton solidified our friendship, but Wicked was the first thing there. And I feel like that show for me, which is so much about female friendship, it was like, Mm -hmm. oh, I have this and I have this with my other best friend. And now we are all in this trio together because our friend Shara is also a big part of our podcast, although she's not on the mic. But that was a show that when we finally got to see it together, we just sat in the theater and cried because it was a huge, oh my God, I'm seeing this show about friendships with my best friends. And that was how I guess we we had started seeing shows together. We had started talking more about shows and then it's like, let's do this and see what happens. And we're having a really great time. And I mean, I'm sure it's a lot of people feel this way now, but it's hard to do a theater podcast when there's no theater and we are digging deep into our minds and thinking of things to do. And yeah, I don't know. I think it's been a really good year and Mm -hmm. we're excited about our content and we're happy and want to make more. So you're doing well, you're doing well in the quarantine. I have to say not everyone's everyone's (laughs) doing great. You You guys are doing, you're doing, I've been very lucky that my format works whether there's theater or not. Yes, you are lucky. (laughs) Very, very lucky. But it is, uh, I listen to, I used to, I don't listen to them right now. A a lot of baseball podcasts and there's no baseball. And, uh, those people are really, really reaching for things to talk about. So you got, I think that you're you're in the slight advantage of having seen so many shows. There's so much you guys yeah. can draw from to bring to keep it. We're also at the ad- advantage of we see a lot of shows together, mm-hmm. and we it's not just oh I saw this and you'll listen to me talk about this. It's let's have an actual conversation about a show that we liked, didn't liked, or didn't like, or let's have more of a deep dive into this show and and what it's what it's about and why we why. I, we love theater basically is is where it ends up at the end of the day is we do this because we love theater and we wouldn't have it any other way. 
So the last the last episode I think you guys did was was it about Frozen? Yes, that was the last that you have a you had an episode out recently in conversation, but the last show mm-hmm. you guys really dove into was Frozen. Um which was pretty funny. And the, yes, I rec- I recommend the June first episode. Yeah, go ahead and start with Obsessions Mega Mix. <laughs> not just because I'm that. in it. Also, bringing it all back full circle here, that cover art is a cassette. So we did it. <laughs> there you go. Look at that. We made it happen. Tara. We, we put it, it happen. together. We, lo- yeah. we looped it in. That's so yeah. fantastic. So the show is off to Broadway. And you can get that wherever fine podcasts are available. And I know. Helen- I, was, I, I was about to do our outro there, and it felt very weird. <laughs> <laughs> this is not your show. This is my show. Exactly. Well, thank you. Of and course. thank you for listening. It's so much fun. I absolutely happy to do it. And thank you for being a guest on, on this show. So people can find you guys. It's the at Off to Broadway podcast, right? Is the It's Off to B-Way podcast. B-way, off to B-Way podcast everywhere. Yes. With the number two, not T-O. Yes. Yes. Important. Yes. License plate. Not, yes. That's, it's a great. Oh, and good, who did the art? Um, I do all of our art. It's good art. Thank you. When I meet the wizard. Once I prove my worth And then I meet the wizard What I've waited for since, since birth And with all his wizard wisdom By my looks, he won't be blinded Do you think the wizard is dumb? Or like Munchkin, so small-minded? No, he'll say to me, I see who you truly are A girl on whom I can rely The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. The original cast is on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Original Cast Pod. You can follow me, Patrick Flynn, on all platforms at Unknown Penguin. Enjoying yourself? Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts and tell the world. You can also find the original cast on Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, and wherever fine podcasts are available. My thanks to Tara Stanton for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. Yeah.